Book fourteen, chapters one through seven of the City of God. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Darren L. Slider, www.logoslibrary.org. The City of God by St. Augustine of Hippo, Book fourteen, Chapter one. We have already stated in the preceding books that God, desiring not only that the human race might be able by their similarity of nature to associate with one another, but also that they might be bound together in harmony and peace by the ties of relationship, was pleased to derive all men from one individual, and created man with such a nature that the members of the race should not have died, had not the two first, of whom the one was created out of nothing and the other out of him, merited this by their disobedience for by them so great a sin was committed that by it the human nature was altered for the worse and was transmitted also to their posterity liable to sin and subject to death and the kingdom of death so reigned over men that the deserved penalty of sin would have hurled all headlong even into the second death of which there is no end had not the undeserved grace of god saved some therefrom and thus it has come to pass that though there are very many and great nations all over the earth, whose rights and customs, speech, arms, and dress are distinguished by marked differences, yet there are no more than two kinds of human society, which we may justly call two cities, according to the language of our scriptures. The one consists of those who wish to live after the flesh, the other of those who wish to live after the spirit, and when they severally achieve what they wish, they live in peace, each after their kind. Since then scripture uses the word flesh in many ways, which there is not time to collect and investigate, if we are to ascertain what it is to live after the flesh, which is certainly evil, though the nature of flesh is not itself evil, we must carefully examine that passage of the epistle which the apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians, in which he says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. This whole passage of the apostolic epistle being considered, so far as it bears on the matter in hand, will be sufficient to answer the question what it is to live after the flesh. For among the works of the flesh which he said were manifest, and which he cited for condemnation, we find not only those which concern the pleasure of the flesh, as fornications, uncleanness, lasciviousness, drunkenness, revelings, but also those which, though they be remote from fleshly pleasure, reveal the vices of the soul. For who does not see that idolatries, witchcrafts, hatreds, variants, emulations, wrath, strife, heresies, envyings, are vices rather of the soul than of the flesh? For it is quite possible for a man to abstain from fleshly pleasures for the sake of idolatry or some heretical error, and yet even when he does so he is proved by this apostolic authority to be living after the flesh, and in abstaining from fleshly pleasure he is proved to be practicing damnable works of the flesh. 
Who that has enmity has it not in his soul? Or who would say to his enemy, or to the man he thinks his enemy, You have a bad flesh towards me, and not rather, You have a bad spirit towards me? In fine, if any one heard of what I may call carnalities, he would not fail to attribute them to the carnal part of man. So no one doubts that animosities belong to the soul of man. Why then does the doctor of the Gentiles in faith and verity call all these and similar things works of the flesh, unless because, by that mode of speech whereby the part is used for the whole, he means us to understand by the word flesh the man himself? CHAPTER three. But if any one says that the flesh is the cause of all vices and ill-conduct, inasmuch as the soul lives wickedly only because it is moved by the flesh, it is certain he has not carefully considered the whole nature of man. For the corruptible body indeed weigheth down the soul, whence too the apostle, speaking of this corruptible body, of which he had shortly before said, Though our outward man perish, says, we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven, if so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up in life. We are then burdened with this corruptible body, but knowing that the cause of this burdensomeness is not the nature and substance of the body, but its corruption, we do not desire to be deprived of the body, but to be clothed with its immortality. For then also there will be a body, but it shall no longer be a burden, being no longer corruptible. At present, then, the corruptible body presseth down the soul, and the earthly tabernacle weigheth down the mind that museth upon many things. Nevertheless, they are in error who suppose that all the evils of the soul proceed from the body. Virgil, indeed, seems to express the sentiments of Plato in the beautiful lines where he says, A fiery strength inspires their lives, an essence that from heaven derives, though clogged in part by limbs of clay and the dull vesture of decay. But though he goes on to mention the four most common mental emotions, desire, fear, joy, sorrow, with the intention of showing that the body is the origin of all sins and vices, saying, Hence wild desires, and groveling fears, and human laughter, human tears, immured in dungeon-seeming night, they look abroad, yet see no light. Yet we believe quite otherwise. For the corruption of the body, which weighs down the soul, is not the cause, but the punishment of the first sin. And it was not the corruptible flesh that made the soul sinful, but the sinful soul that made the flesh corruptible. And though from this corruption of the flesh there arise certain incitements to vice, and indeed vicious desires, yet we must not attribute to the flesh all the vices of a wicked life, in case we thereby clear the devil of all these, for he has no flesh. For though we cannot call the devil a fornicator or drunkard, or ascribe to him any sensual indulgence, though he is the secret instigator and prompter of those who sin in these ways, yet he is exceedingly proud and envious. And this viciousness has so possessed him, that on account of it he is reserved in chains of darkness to everlasting punishment. Now these vices which have dominion over the devil the apostle attributes to the flesh, which certainly the devil has not. For he says, Hatred, variance, emulations, strife, envying, are the works of the flesh. 
and of all these evils pride is the origin and head, and it rules in the devil, though he has no flesh. For who shows more hatred to the saints, who is more at variance with them? Who more envious, bitter, and jealous? And since he exhibits all these works, though he has no flesh, how are they works of the flesh, unless because they are the works of man, who is, as I said, spoken of under the name of flesh? For it is not by having flesh, which the devil has not, but by living according to himself, that is, according to man, that man became like the devil. For the devil, too, wished to live according to himself, when he did not abide in the truth, so that when he lied, this was not of God, but of himself, who is not only a liar, but the father of lies, he being the first who lied, and the originator of lying, as of sin. CHAPTER four. When, therefore, man lives according to man, not according to God, he is like the devil. Because not even an angel might live according to an angel, but only according to God, if he was to abide in the truth, and speak God's truth, and not his own lie. And of man, too, the same apostle says in another place, If the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie, my lie, he said, and God's truth. When, then, a man lives according to the truth, he lives not according to himself, but according to God. For he was God who said, I am the truth. When, therefore, man lives according to himself, that is, according to man, not according to God, assuredly he lives according to a lie. Not that man himself is a lie, for God is his author and creator, who is certainly not the author and creator of a lie, but because man was made upright, that he might not live according to himself, but according to him that made him. In other words, that he might do his will, and not his own, and not to live as he was made to live, that is a lie." for he certainly desires to be blessed even by not living so that he may be blessed and what is a lie if this desire be not wherefore it is not without meaning said that all sin is a lie for no sin is committed save by that desire or will by which we desire that it be well with us and shrink from it being ill with us that therefore is a lie which we do in order that it may be well with us but which makes us more miserable than we were and why is this, but because the source of man's happiness lies only in God, whom he abandons when he sins, and not in himself, by living according to whom he sins? In enunciating this proposition of ours, then, that because some live according to the flesh, and others according to the spirit, there have arisen two diverse and conflicting cities, we might equally well have said, because some live according to man, others according to God. For Paul says very plainly to the Corinthians, For whereas there is among you envying and strife, are ye not carnal, and walk according to man? So that to walk according to man, and to be carnal, are the same. For by flesh, that is, by a part of man, man is meant. For before he said that those same persons were animal, whom afterwards he calls carnal, saying, For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things which are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the animal man perceiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. 
It is to men of this kind, then, that is, to animal men, he shortly after says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. And this is to be interpreted by the same usage, a part being taken for the whole. For both the soul and the flesh, the component parts of man, can be used to signify the whole man, and so the animal man and the carnal man are not two different things, but one and the same thing, man living according to man. In the same way it is nothing else than men that are meant either in the words, By the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified, or in the words, Seventy-five souls went down into Egypt with Jacob. In the one passage no flesh signifies no man, and in the other by seventy-five souls seventy-five men are meant. And the expression, not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, might equally be, not in words which fleshly wisdom teacheth. And the expression, ye walk according to man, might be, according to the flesh. And this is still more apparent in the words which followed. For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not men? The same thing which he had before expressed by, ye are animal, ye are carnal, he now expresses by, ye are men. That is, ye live according to man, not according to God. For if you lived according to him, you should be God's. Chapter 5 There is no need, therefore, that in our sins and vices we accuse the nature of the flesh to the injury of the Creator, for in its own kind and degree the flesh is good. But to desert the Creator good, and live according to the created good, is not good, whether a man choose to live according to the flesh, or according to the soul, or according to the whole human nature, which is composed of flesh and soul, and which is therefore spoken of either by the name flesh alone, or by the name soul alone. For he who extols the nature of the soul as the chief good, and condemns the nature of the flesh as if it were evil, assuredly is fleshly both in his love of the soul and hatred of the flesh. For these his feelings arise from human fancy, not from divine truth. The Platonists, indeed, are not so foolish as, with the Manichaeans, to detest our present bodies as an evil nature, for they attribute all the elements of which this visible and tangible world is compacted, with all their qualities, to God their Creator. Nevertheless, from the death-infected members and earthly construction of the body, they believe the soul is so affected, that there are thus originated in it the diseases of desires, and fears, and joy, and sorrow, under which four perturbations, as Cicero calls them, or passions, as most prefer to name them with the Greeks, is included the whole viciousness of human life. But if this be so, how is it that Aeneas and Virgil, when he had heard from his father in Hades that the soul should return to bodies, expresses surprise at this declaration, and exclaims, O father, and can thought conceive that happy souls this realm would leave, and seek the upper sky with sluggish clay to reunite, this direful longing for the light, whence comes it, say, and why? This direful longing, then, does it still exist even in that boasted purity of the disembodied spirits, and does it still proceed from the death-infected members and earthly limbs? Does he not assert that when they begin to long to return to the body they have already been delivered from all these so-called pestilences of the body? 
from which we gather that were this endlessly alternating purification and defilement of departing and returning souls as true as it is most certainly false yet it could not be averred that all culpable and vicious motions of the soul originate in the earthly body for on their own showing this direful longing to use the words of their noble exponent is so extraneous to the body that it moves the soul that is purged of all bodily taint and is existing apart from any body whatever and moves it moreover to be embodied again so that even they themselves acknowledge that the soul is not only moved to desire fear joy sorrow by the flesh but that it can also be agitated with these emotions at its own instance chapter six but the character of the human will is of moment because if it is wrong these motions of the soul will be wrong but if it is right they will be not merely blameless but even praiseworthy for the will is in them all yea none of them is anything else than will for what are desire and joy but a volition of consent to the things we wish and what are fear and sadness but a volition of aversion from the things which we do not wish but when consent takes the form of seeking to possess the things we wish this is called desire and when consent takes the form of enjoying the things we wish this is called joy in like manner when we turn with aversion from that which we do not wish to happen this volition is termed fear and when we turn away from that which has happened against our will this act of will is called sorrow and generally in respect of all that we seek or shun as a man's will is attracted or repelled so it is changed and turned into these different affections wherefore the man who lives according to god and not according to man ought to be a lover of good and therefore a hater of evil and since no one is evil by nature but whoever is evil is evil by vice he who lives according to god ought to cherish towards evil men a perfect hatred so that he shall neither hate the man because of his vice nor love the vice because of the man but hate the vice and love the man for the vice being cursed all that ought to be loved and nothing that ought to be hated will remain chapter seven he who resolves to love god and to love his neighbor as himself not according to man but according to god is on account of this love said to be of a good will and this is in scripture more commonly called charity but it is also even in the same books called love for the apostle says that the man to be elected as a ruler of the people must be a lover of good and when the lord himself had asked peter hast thou a regard for me diligis more than these peter replied lord thou knowest that i love amo thee and again a second time the lord asked not whether peter loved amaret him but whether he had a regard diligeret for him and he again answered lord thou knowest that i love amo thee but on the third interrogation the lord himself no longer says hast thou a regard diligis for me but lovest thou amas me and then the evangelist adds peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time lovest thou amas me though the lord had not said three times but only once lovest thou amas me and twice diligis me from which we gather that even when the lord said diligis he used an equivalent for amas peter too throughout used one word for the one thing and the third time also replied lord thou knowest all things thou knowest that i love amo thee i have judged it right to mention this because some are of opinion that charity or regard delectio is one thing love amor another 
They say that delectio is used of a good affection, amor of an evil love. But it is very certain that even secular literature knows no such distinction. However, it is for the philosophers to determine whether and how they differ, though their own writings sufficiently testify that they make great account of love, amor, placed on good objects and even on God himself. But we wish to show that the scriptures of our religion, whose authority we prefer to all writings whatsoever, make no distinction between amor, dilexio, and caritas, and we have already shown that amor is used in a good connection. And if any one fancy that amor is no doubt used both of good and bad love, loves, but the delectio is reserved for the good only, let him remember what the psalm says, He that loveth, diligit, iniquity, hateth his own soul. And the words of the apostle John, If any man love, diligere, the world, the love, delectio, of the father is not in him. Here you have in one passage delectio used both in a good and a bad sense. And if any one demands an instance of amor being used in a bad sense, for we have already shown its use in a good sense, let him read the words, For men shall be lovers, amantes, of their own selves, lovers, amatores, of money. The right will is, therefore, well-directed love, and the wrong will is ill-directed love. Love, then, yearning to have what is loved, is desire, and having and enjoying it is joy. Fleeing what is opposed to it, it is fear, and feeling what is opposed to it, when it has befallen it, it is sadness. Now these motions are evil if the love is evil, good if the love is good. What we assert let us prove from Scripture. The apostle desires to depart and to be with Christ, and my soul desire to long for thy judgments, or if it is more appropriate to say, my soul long to desire thy judgments, and the desire of wisdom bringeth to a kingdom. Yet there is always obtained the usage of understanding desire and concupiscence in a bad sense if the object be not defined. But joy is used in a good sense. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, ye righteous. And thou hast put gladness in my heart. And thou wilt fill me with joy with thy countenance. Fear is used in a good sense by the apostle when he says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And be not high-minded, but fear. And I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. But with respect to sadness, which Cicero prefers to call sickness, egritudo, and Virgil pain, dolor, as he says, dolent gaudentque, but which I prefer to call sorrow, because sickness and pain are more commonly used to express bodily suffering, with respect to this emotion, I say, the question whether it can be used in a good sense is more difficult. End of Book 14, Chapters 1 through 7. Recording by Darren L. Slider, Fort Worth, Texas, www.logoslibrary.org.